0: Success, it has been said, is not the absence of failure, but going from failure to failure without any loss of enthusiasm. This podcast was created to discuss the correlation between short-term failures and future success by those who have pushed themselves to become real powerhouses. Michael Jordan said, to learn to succeed, you must first learn to fail. And Mike Tyson said, discipline is doing what you hate to do, but nonetheless doing it like you love it. On this podcast, we celebrate those who were not afraid to fail by taking disciplined action on their path to success. My name is BJ Gramillion and I am the host of The Real Powerhouse Podcast. I am someone who is very familiar with failure and am fascinated by others' imperfect journey to success. Welcome to The Real Powerhouse Podcast welcome to the real powerhouse podcast i'm your host bj germillion and today i have chris miles with us today um and chris by the way i uh funny story i was i always look up everyone on google and, and do a little bit of uh research beforehand did you know that there is a rapper that goes by that's also chris miles did you know this I'm unfortunately
1: sure you yeah <laughs> i try to beat him <laughs> yeah. on youtube but he's got he's got a bigger following than i've got
0: yeah, surprisingly, right? It, it, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, like I tried listening actually to one of his songs, and I was like, I, I, I just can't do it. I am clearly <laughs> old. I am over the hill because I just I don't get it. I'm like, man, this new rap stuff, <laughs> I don't understand it. But uh, hey, you're uh, you're popular.
1: That's right, man. I mean, and it's funny because every once in a while, my wife say, "Hey, give me a rap," and it's just it's just not good. It just never <laughs> never comes out right. You know, it, really? it sounds. Sounds like a, a a wannabe poet, you know.
0: Yeah, sure. Oh, that's awesome. Uh well I I met Chris in uh, Collective Genius as well. Um in fact I just had a a podcast right before you, Brad Chandler, um oh, yeah. who's also in Collective Genius, and turns out he's been in it for nine years. How long have you been in the Collective Genius for?
1: I've been in now for I think about four and a half years.
0: Okay. Okay, nice. So about double uh yep. what I've been in it, but um <laughs> I love collective genius. Cause, uh, you know, you get to meet amazing people like Chris. Um, and, and the other awesome thing about collective genius is just, there's so many, um, people that are in the, that make money in different ways. Um, and, and there's, it, it's just fun to to see how many different ways there is, you know, to start businesses. Um, and, uh, Chris is in a really cool niche that, uh, I was telling him before the show, I still like, I, um, I, I started learning about, um, infinite banking. Right. And so Chris, mm-hmm. this is, uh, his, his business and I'll have him for sure explain a lot more about this because I would do a horrible job explaining it, but I was telling him, you know, I, I got a policy a couple years ago. Um, and if someone were to ask me today, what is infinite banking? I would still probably not be able to tell them. Um, really anything and so maybe we start there chris um because you are the expert in that field so maybe fill us in like what is infinite banking and uh how do you explain it when people ask you
1: yeah it's really a tax-free supercharged savings account that's how i explain it right at least if it's done right now, yeah. there are a variety of infinite banking variations out there. I guess that's not redundant, variety of v- variations, whatever. There's yeah. a lot of a lot of different variations out there of infinite banking. The traditional way, like I was taught um, from other real estate investors, in fact, I remember first learning about it in two thousand six after I quit being a financial advisor. Um just so you know, as a financial advisor, I was always taught that whole life insurance, which is <clears throat> primarily what you use with, with infinite banking, I was told that was crappy. Never do it. It stinks. The stock market will beat it. It makes like one or 2% a year. Don't do it. And mm-hmm. so that's what I was taught. Not because I knew anything about it, but because that's what everybody else taught me. Right. You know, financial advisors just teach each other and you know, other companies teach them too. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So anyways, uh, so, so, you know, I, I sort of learned that from these other real estate investors, they were all, you know, hot and bothered by it. And I thought, this is cool. Well, I remember meeting with the insurance guy because remember I was insurance licensed for four years prior as this mainstream previous you know financial advisor. I'm repented since then. I'm an anti financial advisor today, right?
0: But, <laughs> who did uh, you work with? Anyways, by the way? like what's that? Uh, who, who did you work with?
1: Yeah, That's I worked funny. with the, like World Group Securities, uh, people like that. So I was my broker dealer back then. Uh, okay. So they're pretty big. Uh, they're all over. In fact, if you ever heard of Ed Mylett? Uh, he was one of the you know, leaders in that company at, at back in those days, 20 plus years ago when I was that. there.
0: Well, and it's so, funny because uh, I was actually with Ever Jones. That was my first job out of college uh, for like two years. And uh, I'm I'm right there with you. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I definitely drank the Kool-Aid. And similar to what you're saying, it was the same thing. Like I had a very uh, bad taste in my mouth when it when it came to these policies. And, uh, and, and it took several different uh, conferences where you would hear from these guys. And I'm like, man, maybe there is something to it. But I was very, very skeptical. So anyways, uh, that, oh, that's yeah. the that oh. same background.
1: And I kind of was too. I remember when I first heard about it, I was like, really? Whole life? Like of all the things we'd be doing, you've picked the least sexiest thing that we yeah. could possibly be doing, right? Yeah. Um, but. I remember I got referred to a book called Be, Com- Be Your Own Banker by Nelson Nash. That's kind of the the Bible of infinite banking, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, and there's some things that are good in there. Some things I, I wouldn't do as a strategy today because it doesn't apply as well. But, mm. um, but in any case, uh, I mean, we can get into that later. But uh, so anyways, I read that book, drank the Kool-Aid. I, I went to that insurance guy. I said, okay, I'm going to trust you. Help me design it. And so he said, all right, let's have you put $1,000 a month in this thing. And I remember seeing it for like the first few years. I had no cash in there. So if you don't know what whole life insurance is, it's different than term insurance. Term insurance is just death insurance, where a whole life insurance has that death benefit, but it also has this tax-free savings account as a part of it. So you pay more in, because you're paying more than just the death benefit, you're paying also, also into this cash. But I remember thinking, okay, I'm paying a 1000 bucks a month into this thing, but I have no cash until year three. And, and I thought... I even asked this guy, I said, point blank, I'm like, is there a way we can adjust this? Like, I could do it because I could do this with other insurance products like, you know, IULs, VULs. Like, I, I used to offer some of those at that time. I'm like, can I, you know, overfund this? And the agent told me, no, you cannot. You'll cause it to trigger taxes. So you don't want to do that. I said, all right, well, I'll trust you. Well, that was in 2006. You know, I, of course, got out of the rat race, so financially independent by 2006. Then 2007 was great. And then right about the halfway into 2007 we started to see the real estate market get hurt right and uh so of course by 2008 i couldn't afford to keep paying my premiums i was in the whole fifteen thousand dollars a month at that point so i went from millionaire to upside down millionaire during that period of time of that last recession and and so i couldn't keep paying those premiums and i remember called the insurance company I'm like is there anything i can do and they said no you know you've basically you know you got to keep paying these premiums or you know, you have nothing because you have 300 bucks of cash in here. That's all you have to pay the thousand dollars of premium. And so I end up losing that policy. I paid 25 grand into it and yet I had to lose it. It was like the most expensive crappiest term policy I could have ever bought, even though it was whole life. And so I was kind of miffed, but I thought, well, that's just the way it is. Well, within the next year, I started digging deeper, realized that he could have actually designed it better. And I remember I sat down with him. I I, I we I took him into a conference room. We worked in the same office together when I came out of retirement in 2007 to start teaching people how to get out of the rat race and stuff. We're in the same office. I, we go to a conference room and I start battling him. And I was like, listen, like I'm running numbers myself because I was still insurance licensed and I learned how to do it myself. I said, I'm running numbers. I can come out with, I can actually have cash in this from day one. And so we went back and forth, you know, he's like, well, it's death benefit, yada, yada, all this stuff like human life value and all that kind of stuff. Right. Well, at the end of it, after two hours of going back and forth, I finally, I finally got him to the corner to the point where all these objections were overcome. And he just said, Chris, the reason I did it that way is because I can't afford to cut my commissions. And I said, that is why you'll never get another referral from me again, from my friends, family, clients, whomever, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, by the way, he's now out of the business as of today. (laughs) But it kind of got me on a crusade a little bit of, can we do this better? Especially from an investor perspective, because I'm an investor first and foremost. Can we make this better? Because it's not supposed to be used like a bill pay, like a lot of people tell you to do. It's like, oh, you run all your income through it. No, don't do that. That's stupid. It's more work than it's worth. Not worth it. Hmm. Um, some people will say, oh yeah, we'll build it up like he did. It's like after five, 10, 15 years, you'll have enough cash. You can buy your own car and pay yourself back, which is not true. You don't pay yourself back. And I'll explain why in a bit. Um, but it's still awesome. It's just, there's all these half truths or ways that these guys design it that have heavier fees and costs Mm -hmm. that take away from you growing that tax-free savings account, not allowing you to have more money, which is exactly what you want, because the only way to become financially free is not in these kind of vehicles. There's no vehicle that an insurance agent or a financial advisor can offer you to give you financial freedom. I've proven it. Like mutual funds can't do it. They never make enough, high enough return when the stock market, literally S and P has only averaged an actual return in the last 30 years of 7.7%. That's yeah. it. Not 10 or 12, right? And then whole life. I mean, even when it's designed great, like how we do it, still you might make maybe 5% net tax free. That's good. That's, that will compete with the stock market, but it's not enough. You need alternative investments like real estate to get you to be financially free. So you want to have this as low cost as possible, highest returning, and that's why I call it max ROI, infinite banking, the the ton of style or designs that we do, so that you get the maximum cash in there from day one and forever. So for example, you know, where I paid into that for two years, had zero cash in in my policy, right? The way we do it now is that you pay in, say it's that, you know, say I'm putting in for round numbers, 10,000 a year, year one, you'll have about 7,500 to 8,000 bucks, depending on your age and health rating. No. Yeah. Year two, you're going to have probably at least 16,000, maybe even 17,000 by that point. Uh, by year three, it usually starts paying for itself where it's making as much as what you've paid into it. Like it's going right to that savings account. By year five or so, you usually have as much money as you paid in. So if you pay 10,000 a year for five years, usually by year five, you have at least 49, 50, 51,000 bucks in there at hmm. that point. Um, it's funny cause I have another friend and you might know him. I, I won't mention his name here on the air, but, uh, he's, a, he owns a turnkey company, right? Yeah. And I, I remember he even asked me, he said, Hey Chris, you know, I've got this, you know, got this guy, he's been sending us some referrals. Um, I want to do business with him. He's doing this infinite banking thing. It sounds awesome. Isn't that what you talk about? I said, yeah, it is. Oh, by the way, I know that guy. He's a schmuck.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: you know, I, if you notice, I kind of have an opinion sometimes, you know, again, yeah, right? <laughs> I, I think these people are for the most part, good people. This sure. guy, like I knew he did a lot of things that actually was why he got fired from certain insurance companies. So yeah. I was like, yeah, I don't trust him, but he still mm-hmm. did it. Well, mm-hmm. six years go by. And this friend that owns this turnkey company, reaches own out to me again. He says, so Chris, I've been paying, you know, over like almost like $7,000 a year into this policy for six years. I only have $18,000 of cash after six years. Wow. I said, I know I told you it wasn't real infinite banking. It sucks. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, and so he's like, can you do it better? And I showed him like how he could actually have just as much cash in five years where he would have had not, you know, 18,000 by that point, he probably would have had over 40,000 bucks by that same year. Right. So he would have saved himself literally tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah. Uh, he liked it so much that he ended up, we ended up canceling that policy, moving that over tax-free to a new policy. And now he, he's putting, well, now he's got two policies. He's put, he did 50,000 a year at that one policy with that one. And then just a few months ago, he reached back out after one of another mastermind group, a real estate mastermind group they were part of, where he said, I don't trust banks anymore. I need to unbank myself. Let's move it in here. And he's putting in hundred thousand here. Wow. So, anyways, that's kind of about the design. Now you asked, yeah. like, how does it work, right? How does infinite mm-hmm. banking work? Right. Because I, I say that because not all of them are created equal. That's the problem. Yeah. Here's how it works is that this tax-free savings account actually allows you to make money in two places at the same time. That's the real power behind this. It's not about just the death benefit, which is great. That's a perk. Um, you'll notice I never really focus on the death benefit, even though you get that. And it's great for legacy planning. Mm -hmm. But what's better is that this tax free savings account allows you to be able to invest with it while still growing it inside the insurance policy. Now Mm -hmm. people will say, wait wait a minute. How does it work in two places at once? Well, here's how this money that's in there, when you have it, it's kind of like a Roth IRA. It's, it grows tax free, comes out tax free, but you don't all have, you don't have all these dumb rules like 59 and a half age rules where you have penalties if you touch it too early right Right. or even limitations like roth ira you make too much money income wise they won't even let you contribute to a roth unless you try to do these stupid backdoor Roth things which the government's trying to get rid of now Mm -hmm. so you don't have to go through all these hoops and rules and there's no age limit so first off you can put in as much pretty much almost as much as you want like you put in about 25 percent of your stated gross annual income per year Mm -hmm. um on top of that You could, uh, of course, like you can access that money from day one with the way we design it. So here's how you can access. You can withdraw the money, but remember when you withdraw money, just like if you pull money out of a savings account, that money's not earning any interest inside that savings account anymore, right? Mm -hmm. Because say you had $100,000 sitting there, you pull out $100,000. Now you're making zero interest, you know, even if the bank's paying you point nothing percent, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but here what you can do that too. But what we usually recommend is, is that instead you get a line of credit against it, which you can get just through the insurance company and it's off the books. It's not on your credit, doesn't run credit scores or anything like that. Or you apply for it. They know it's guaranteed because whole life, they have a guarantee of at least usually two, three plus percent a year. Hmm. So because of that reason, insurance companies say, great, you can pay it back however, whenever you want. There's no monthly payments when you take out a loan against it. Um, even better, the, the balloon payment when it's actually due, is your death. And they just take that out of your death benefit and then pay the rest of your family tax-free. Hmm. So they're not requiring to make payments. It's almost like a student loan and deferral. So you get this line of credit against it, but if you do it right and how it's designed, you can actually end up paying less in interest than what you're making inside the policy. Because remember that same $100,000, even if you get a line of credit against it, right? The 100,000 is still in there earning, compounding tax-free returns, usually of at least 5% plus yeah. is what it's earning, right? Mm-hmm. So you're earning these tax free returns in here, well, yes, you pay interest on it. That's why I say you don't pay yourself back per se, um, but you're paying interest on that money, but then you can go and invest it. So you earn money still in your real estate deals, whatever you want, still get all the tax advantages that you want where you'll lose that if you put it in the IRA, right? Yeah. But you get all these tax advantages still and everything else you would get. So you earn money in the real estate and at the same time, you're earning money in the life insurance, double dipping on that same money. So if somebody, even if they make a 10% passive return, they could easily make 11 to 13% total return using that same money.
0: Man. Okay. So it's funny. As you're talking, I'm thinking, uh, you know, there's there's some people that like to listen to podcasts at, you know, one and a half speed or two speed. I don't think you're going to need to do that with Chris. Um, I'm pretty sure that he already just talks naturally like that. So if you want a fire hose of knowledge, uh, go ahead and listen to this at, at regular speed. I think that'll be good for you. Um, so there is a lot to take in with what you just said over the last 10 minutes. And, the, and, and I think that a lot of people, um, probably first of all, they hear the word infinite banking, right? And that is probably a very new term for a lot of people. They've probably never heard of it. And I think, you know, correct me, obviously, if I'm wrong on any of this, because this is going to be my third grade level understanding of infinite banking. But I think that what appealed to me was, first off, uh, you need to look at the bank, right? And and we need to look at, okay, why are banks so successful? Why are they popping up right and left? Why do they make so much money? And I think that the the reason behind that is because, Essentially, what they do is they rely on your deposits, you bring in your money, and then they can take that money and leverage it. I don't know what the ratio is. Maybe it's 10x. I don't know if it's higher or lower. But let's just say 10x for easy math so they can go out leverage your money and then they can go out and invest your money so it's not their money that they're investing it's your money that they're investing and so yeah, they're able to make trash. an infinite return because they're not putting in their money to make that money right and so right. Uh, the idea of infinite banking is that is an infinite return um and it's a phenomenal setup um that's why all of us want to become the bank right because that is a very cool concept the other thing that appealed to me when I looked at infinite banking was I, I read the um, Warren Buffett book. I think it's called Snowball. Mm. And, uh, and in that book, he mentioned learning about insurance. And he learned about this small little company uh, that would issue policies to people that were in the government. It was only to government employees. And so they were very like, quality people that you'd want to have insurance on because these are typically you know pretty boring uh, people that don't take a lot of risk and all that kind of stuff. And so he looked into their numbers and was like, is this a typo? Like what is going, how are they making so much money so quickly? And then he did more and more research. And, and by the way, this company now is called Geico. Um, mm-hmm. And he realized, hey, wait a minute, there's something here. Um, I'm going to basically sell all of my stock. He sold a very large portion of his, of his stock portfolio and dumped it all into Geico because he went all in. He was like, look, this is legit. Like, this is almost like cheating. Um, and so he picked up on that pretty quickly and was like, Hey, I can now I'm really good at investing. I'm very clearly good at that um but my issue is i don't have enough capital and so in order for me to get more capital i need to go to the insurance companies uh route and start you know investing like they are and so i guess when i looked at those two i was like okay yeah there's there's something to it so now practical life how do i i can't go start a bank i don't really have the resources or connections to start a bank and I'm not Warren Buffett. Um, and so I don't have access to Geico and I'm not a, I don't know what percentage share he owns of Geico at this point, uh, but it's a pretty large majority. Um, so how in practical terms, can I go out and, and do this? And that's when I heard of, you know, they, there was a presentation uh, by a gentleman in, in one of the um, groups that we were in at the time, he mentioned this policy and probably like you, just like the light bulb clicked. I'm like, okay, that's cool. I want to learn more about it. And so I just went out and I started one just to see how it would go. Um, mm-hmm. The jury's still out. I don't really know if it's good or bad, honestly. We'll have to talk more about that after. Um, but, you know, I, I imagine, uh, was it similar for you? I know that you kind of mentioned like your, your journey, but like um, you said something that I picked up on where you said that you came out of retirement in 2007. Did I hear that right? yeah okay yeah, so, so what, what did you do to to uh i mean you're a younger guy right you're you're mm-hmm. not you're not super old so i'm I'm curious how how did that work
1: well i'm older than you but i, I appreciate that. that's a good compliment you know,
0: <laughs> you look young and i know that you run you ran a marathon recently too right
1: yeah yeah i run marathons and such i have like four scheduled this year including new york which is like a boston type marathon it's one of the six big world majors you know um, yeah, so
0: you don't just run a marathon; you run marathons and uh, <laughs> plural multiple times a year. That's that's crazy. Uh, it is okay,
1: crazy. So yeah,
0: <laughs> you're taking care of yourself, which is which is awesome. But yeah, like how how did you uh, retire at such a young age in 2006 or seven? Yeah.
1: By rejecting everything I t- I was taught as a financial advisor, that's that's really how it is. Now I wasn't I wasn't the guy that went to college for you know like finance things like that. Although I took some financial classes, I was actually a sociology major with a, a triple minor in psychology, ballroom dancing, and Japanese. <laughs> so, uh,
0: <laughs> wow, you know, Never kind of a renaissance man of sorts, right?
1: And uh, <laughs> my 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 career intention was actually become a business consultant, and uh, I was about to get my bachelor's. I was one. Really, actually one paper away from getting my bachelor's. And I decided to take a one year sabbatical before I went to go for my MBA. Cause I thought, you know, if I have real life business experience, wouldn't that be good? And yeah. so that's where I ended up going into financial advising it was the first business that seemed kind of interesting. Cause I wanted to learn about money. I didn't know much about it. Um, and you know, it was, it was my own business. So I thought, Hey, this is a good way to kind of get into that entrepreneur world. And uh and so I didn't realize like you did, you know, I didn't realize that, you know, getting hired by a financial firm was as easy as it was. I mean, I I yeah. came in interviewing hard. I mean, I was yeah. following up with them like crazy and not realizing that all I had to do was have a clean criminal record and pass a test with 70% on <laughs> that, you know. It's so true. But uh, so, anyways, but I did it and I loved it. And I actually stayed dropped out of college. I never finished my degree mm-hmm. and I and I started going down that route. But after four years, I sat down with my dad, and my dad was kind of that inspiration. He was like the older brother Dave Ramsey looked up to, right? Mm -hmm. He was the guy that saved everything. He uh, paid off his debt, including his house, in 18 years. You know, he was so proud of all the progress he made. And he was the one that always taught me. I mean, this guy was like the ultimate penny pincher, doesn't throw anything away. He still has Mrs. Buttersworth syrup from 20 years ago that he will refuse (laughs) to throw away, even though he bought it on sale, which is why he has so much of it. Um, he also, by the way, he just two years ago, I went back home. He went and gifted me the baby shower cake from my baby shower. Meaning like before I was born, he saved it, put in the freezer, uh, along with a fish that I caught when I was 14. He was really proud of that one too. Um, so just to give you an idea, this guy doesn't throw anything away, right? This guy is like the ultimate penny pinching saver. Dave Ramsey. That's what I'm saying. Dave Ramsey would have learned from this guy and said, wow, I want to be like him someday. Um, (laughs) So anyways, I sat, you know, eventually when I was a financial advisor, this is about 2000, end of 2005, I sit down with him because he says, when are you going to advise me? And so I sat down with him and I'm looking at his stuff. He says, I'm 61 years old. I want to retire today. What do I need to do? Hmm. And as I looked at it, he'd been stuffing his 401k, paid off his debt early, just like I mentioned. And I said, dad, to be honest, if you try to retire today, you better hope you die in five years because you will run out of money that quickly. Wow. And uh, he's like. Well, okay, what do I do? I, I said, I don't know, you've did everything right. You know, I could try to get you in this, you know, type of annuity or this kind of stock product or whatever, but what if the market tanks? You know, if there's some certain types of guarantees, you know, the only thing you really got is an asset to your house, I wouldn't dare invest your house into the market or even to an indexed type of product because, yeah. well, one, you could lose it, and two, it's kind of illegal to borrow money and put it in the stock market, right? So yeah. um, he's like, well, what do I do? I'm like, I don't know. And of course, when the student's ready, the teacher appears, I had a friend that I trained to be a real, to be a, a financial advisor that left to go do real estate investing with his dad. They partnered on a bunch of deals and uh, his, you know, his dad was a professor at BYU. And, and uh, I said, man, how are things going? He's like, dude, it's awesome, man. Like my dad's doubled his income as a professor at BYU. I said, Oh, come on. Like that was four months. You guys have been doing this. That's, that's too good to be true. Right. You know, yeah. all the things you probably hear from people, especially if they've bought into the 401k Kool-Aid yep. and, and so uh, eventually he just said, well, Chris, let me ask you a question. How many of your clients are truly financially free where they don't worry about money? And as I thought about it, and I've been in the industry for four years, I said, well, you know what? None. Because even the retired doctors and such still worry about running out of money. Yeah. He says, all right, well, there's a, there's a problem. He's like, secondly, Chris, how many of you guys as financial advisors are financially free, not off the commissions you're earning, but actually doing these mutual fund investments? And I, thought, I looked around the office. I knew there's over hundred guys in our office. Some of them had been working there since the late 1970s. <laughs> and I said, none. There's your problem, Chris. <laughs> and so that kind of led me down that journey about learning about not just accumulation theory that like you learn from financial advising world and the savings world, right? Everybody's telling you to accumulate money, then live on. Now they say, because 4% rule got debunked a long time ago, live on 3%. So if you happen to save up a million bucks, you live on 30,000 a year. Well, the thing that blew my mind and actually got me on cloud nine and got me to eventually quit being a financial advisor just a few months later was when I realized like, well, what if I could take that same million dollars, make 1% a month with real estate backed assets, something that actually has real assets backing up, even some tax advantages potentially. That's 120,000 a year or $10,000 a month versus 2,500 a month or 30,000 a year following the traditional plan. And I was like, "Holy cow!" Now it seemed possible because I remember when I would I would I would adjust numbers as a financial advisor. I would lower it to like two percent on inflation because three percent was just too much. You know, I would try to raise the return to at least eight or ten percent, even though I knew that was still may not they may not get that return right. Yeah. Just so that they wouldn't be depressed when they saw their numbers in the future, realizing that whatever you put it like in a four hundred one k for example with the match, even if you get the match with it, if you max fund twenty thousand a year in a four hundred one k. Your lifestyle after inflation, a conservative rate of inflation at five percent. Yes, that's conservative. Um, you'll end up only living on twenty thousand a year. So whatever you put into a four hundred and one k is what you live on per year in retirement after inflation adjustment. Mm-hmm. That's horrible, guys. So, anyways, um, I started doing things with real estate investing as well myself, more of a you know past investor. I did some things with flipping and stuff, but I eventually stopped doing that. But yeah. uh, but between that and some other income streams, I got. I was working like a few hours a week and I was able to really, I was out of the rat race um, and I was like, Holy cow. Like I never thought I'd be maybe spending three hours a week on this stuff and, and not have to work. And so I was 28 years old, almost 29 and essentially retired. And I'm like, now what? And so I kind of had this weird, you know, you know, period where I was trying to find myself and figure out what I wanted to do, what I was really passionate about. I almost taught ballroom dancing at the local university here. Um, but you know, because people kept asking me how I did it naturally. I was yeah. teaching people and I love teaching. That's my natural thing. And so I came out of, of uh, retirement in 2007 partnered with a guy named Garrett Gunderson, if you ever heard of him, he wrote the book, killing sacred cows. Um, we partnered yeah. together to start up that company that before he created Wolf factory and, uh, started doing that. But of course we were focused on active real estate investors, flippers, right? 2007 yeah. happens. And all of a sudden, about July two thousand seven, I remember the exact month because it's when I couldn't get access to money. July two thousand seven, everything started changing, going downhill, and uh, and of course, those guys couldn't pay us. We weren't paying the bills. We'd already racked up tons of money, you know, just trying to start that business. So our business was failing. My own finances, because I was banking on appreciation, not cash flow. I actually started violating my own rules in two thousand seven by trying to make big money, and uh, instead of making it big, I. Lost big, went from millionaire to upside down millionaire. Uh in the in the to the tune that I was in the hole like fifteen thousand, sixteen thousand every month that I was short of what I wow. needed, um, even after in- income coming in and everything. So pretty hard time. Uh well, fortunately I didn't have to go through bankruptcy. I did battle back from it, but um, it took me till 2016 before uh, December 2016 before I was finally officially out of the rat race again, where I had enough passive income to replace it. And this time I was a lot wiser. The ambition of my twenties you know, caught up to me in my thirties. And by 39, I was able to do it a second time.
0: Wow. What were some changes that uh, you did the second time around? Uh, You you mentioned that you went more conservative. Uh, What were some of those changes?
1: Yeah, big things, I started tracking my money. You know, Mm -hmm. money is kind of like air. You know, you never really count the number of breaths you have until you don't have air anymore, right? Then you count every breath. Money was the same way. Like it was coming in so abundantly and I wasn't used to that much money coming in so quickly. 'Cause I mean, my expenses that, you know, back in two thousand six were like thirty five hundred a month. It was not hard to get out of the rat race, especially with a young family. Yeah. But uh but then all of a sudden, you know, as I rack up more expenses, I bought a bigger house, you know, about the dream show home and things like that, you know, just to show off people. Um, pride was definitely an issue there because, you know, money is really a really magnifier of the soul. It just makes you already more of who you already are. So if you already don't have a, a good feeling of self-worth, you're gonna try to overly compensate with crap, right? With stuff. And that's what I did. Like I wanted a house to wow people, you know, I bought in a nice neighborhood and everything. And, you know, the truth is that it was dumb, you know, as so I did that. But even if I was debt free, I was still gonna be in the hole because I wasn't tracking my money, right? I wasn't seeing how much money was coming in, how much is going out. So all I noticed was almost when it was too late, I noticed that credit card bounces starting to run up, savings was dwindling downward. I wasn't liquid. And so the big advice I give people, I've been giving this to people since 2020 when I started to see that the bubble is popping and it still has not yet popped. It's only gotten bigger since 2020, right? Mm -hmm. Is that you should get lean, get liquid and get out, you know, get lean, obviously like tracking your money and that kind of thing. And and just going with the necessary expenses. Don't try to, it doesn't mean don't enjoy life. I don't say you don't go out and, you know, and go out to eat and stuff. Right. I don't say you don't have that latte, you know, like David Bach talks about or whatever, but know what i am saying is you know definitely be selective you know make sure you create a life that by design a life that you love um get liquid means this is what i wish i would have done the last recession is that not having enough cash reserves on hand right because i had cash reserves but it wasn't nearly as much as i should have had especially for the amount of cash flow and spending that was going on um if somebody's an entrepreneur i recommend they have at least 12 months of expenses you know and that's personally for your personal life so if you're spending ten thousand a month. I think you should have at least my opinion, at least 60 to 120,000 bucks, you know, six to 12 months for sure. As an entrepreneur, I would lean more to the hundred thousand plus. Um, and that's not even including keeping at least a couple months of reserves in your business too. And, uh, I know you know this cause as a real estate investor, you see this, but that was a big thing. Um, and then getting out like getting your money out of places where it's trapped. The problem I did you know, also in the last recession is that I trapped my money in equity of my house believing because I was a mortgage broker at the time. Remember I was still doing that like on the side, but then I eventually just started doing that passively and handing off somebody else and getting paid through a partnership that way. But, but I thought, well, if I ever need money, I just go in and get a line of credit because banks will lend to anybody, you know, not realizing that when things get bad, when, when banks decide to tighten the belt a little bit, that's going to cost you. And especially when, when they, I remember they told me in July, 2007, I went in to do a cash out refinance of my property. I just put a ton of money into it, renovated the basement and everything of this new home. And so I was happy because the appraisal was more than what I put into it. So I'm thinking I'm a smart investor, but July, 2007, I'm going into the bank and they say, Oh, you know what? We just changed some things last week. Um, if you get your score up just two more points, we'll give you the loan. I say, great, I can do that. No problem. I just pay on time payments. I'll get up two points. So the next month I did. And uh, I go in in August, They said, Oh, you know what? A few things are still changing. Do these three things. I can't remember what they were, but basically like check off all these little hoops. You got to jump through and then we'll give you the loan. Mm-hmm. September, I go back credit score. still good. I did all those things. They said, sorry, we don't loan to business owners anymore. <laughs> Pretty much. If you're a business owner, we don't like you. And Hey, you got real estate even worse. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, I was, I had all this equity trapped in this property. I couldn't access and eventually of course the values as you know that came down and eventually that got wiped out i eventually foreclosed on that house for way less than what i was trying to short sell it for um, because good old lehman brothers owned it so they didn't want to short sell anything they only wanted to foreclose so i, I did get my 300 settlement from them thank you very much but uh <laughs> <laughs> so so that's the cool thing is like you know like i learned that i needed to be liquid i need to have cash just in case right um i'm much more liquid today in fact i'm even more liquid today not just because of emergencies, but even for opportunities. Cause I mean, I know you're in the turnkey space, right? I mean, there's still, I mean, turnkeys is still one of my favorite investments right now. That's another thing I did differently is that this time around, when I did buy real estate, I bought turnkeys. I, yeah. I stopped buying my own properties, managing my own properties because I stunk as a property manager and I was often negative cash flow. Again, I wasn't focusing on cash flow. I was just thinking appreciation, right? Well, now. I don't want to buy in utah you know i don't buy my own backyard or anywhere in the western half of the united states i think it sucks i go out east to like the southeast of the midwest where i can get much better returns with better prices better rent and more profit and so uh so that's one of my favorite strategies among many that i'll do from the passive side but um but that's the thing is like i learned not to be my own landlord be liquid get my money out of those places out of prison you know a lot of our clients get in money out of like 401ks or iras and get it to work for them instead of them working so hard for that that's the big big advice I give
0: to anybody right now, man. So I promised I didn't uh, pay Chris for this plug, uh, but he pretty much just did my commercial <laughs> for me. Um, everything that he said, though, honestly, um, he just said it much better than and more eloquently than I think I ever could. Uh, but I could not like I'm I'm. If anyone's watching this on YouTube, I'm just nodding my head the entire time because um, we just went through it, um, and and so not to the um, I guess, pain level that you did in, in 2007 and 2008, because that was the great recession, you guys. That was like uh, once, I mean, it, it, I don't know if it's once in a lifetime or anything like that, but for real estate, probably was. Um, it was massive, right? Like, I mean, properties went down 70% or in some areas, you know, and, and less than others. But I mean, you just don't recover from that. Like that's, that's massive. You don't just figure it out. Like, um, so yeah, foreclosure, short sales, all that stuff was prevalent. But in, uh, you know, last year, we started to see, and and again, to your point, Chris, it hasn't fully happened yet. I think that everyone is probably thinking, oh, cool. Like, we made it out of that. Like we're okay. It wasn't. Yeah. Like I made it through. (laughs) We're still good. There's still money in the bank account. So hopefully if anyone's listening to this, hopefully you learn from Chris, hopefully. And I'm, I, I'm always trying to learn from others as well, but really I just went through it and I'm still going through it right now where, um, to your point, the Western half of the United States is, um, it's in a recession uh, for real estate, mm-hmm. and, and it's it's been pretty brutal. There definitely was a bubble. There was a pop, um, and I think it is going to get worse, which is a big reason why we obviously moved uh, or are moving in the next couple of weeks to Tennessee just because the opportunity is there, just like it was in Arizona and Utah you know, a decade ago. Uh, mm-hmm. Now the opportunity is there. Um, but I love everything that you said. I really, really um, could not... Uh, back you up anymore on being liquid and having reserves. Um, That was my biggest lesson that I learned um, really in this last downturn was we had a lot of money tied up in land, which is that eats three times a day. It does not give you anything in return. It just is hungry. And so you just got to keep shoveling money at it until hopefully you find a, a buyer that will, you know, take that off your hands. So, and so between that new construction, um, you know, flips, all that kind of stuff. You, there was a lot of money going out the door, not so much coming in. And so, um, so anyways, I, I love everything that, that you said there. And it's so critical that we do have not just six months reserves, uh, but a year, um, all of that. Uh, if anyone uh, listens to this podcast, hopefully really you could just take that five, 10 minutes. Um, and, hopefully apply that. Hopefully this will help someone be like, Hey, yeah, maybe I should hit the brakes. Maybe not hit the gas so hard and, uh, take some chips off the table, you know, as, uh, Jason Medley often says in our, uh, collect genius group. So, all that is fantastic advice. Um, and, and, I would, uh, encourage everyone to learn about infinite baking and to talk to Chris. I'm, I'm going to put his, um, his website, his podcast, his YouTube, all of that will be in the show notes. Um, trust me, there is a plethora of knowledge in there. He's at, I think we were talking before the show, you're at like 730 or something like that Podcast mm-hmm. for one of your podcasts. Like that's one of them, right? right that's the one that's active now Yep, it's crazy so he started like nine years ago way ahead of the curve um you know when it comes to this and so um if you have any questions related to the insurance uh, world um infinite baking and and all that definitely chris is is your go-to uh for all of those questions and so we'll, we'll, we'll put all that in the, in the show notes so that you guys can reach out to him um but uh before we wrap up i always have three questions that i like to ask everyone uh, I guess it's like our lightning round. And so the, the first question that I have for you, Chris is, um, I'm sure that you're, um, do, do you read quite a bit? Yeah. Okay. What, what's, uh, what's a book that you read in the past year or podcast or, or something like that, that that's really impacted you over the, over the past year.
1: Okay. That's a big one. Yeah. Uh, I would sure say in the past team. year, you know, a few keep popping in my head. I mean, Alex Romosi's like hundred million dollar offer, like was pretty cool. Um, definitely, oh, I, yeah. I got. I was surprised I got nuggets out of that. I was one of those late adopters to reading that book. I finally just read it in the last, really the last. I haven't week, read it yet, three months. Um, but I was surprised; it was actually really good. Uh, especially yeah. if you're in the business space and or coaching space too. Yeah. Um, you know, one. I mean, I'll tell you a book series in general that I just love. Um, mm-hmm. Speaking of Collective Genius, he spoke at Collective Genius at the end of uh, 2019. Was a guy named Mike Michalowicz um, who wrote Profit First. Um, the book that I love the most out of all of them, I mean, there's a lot of good ones I've read in the last year, some of the new ones he's done, but the one that's probably the most impactful on my business was called The Pumpkin Plan, which is oh. a, a, not as well known as Profit First. That's a pretty popular one for sure, but yeah. The Pumpkin Plan actually revolutionized everything I was doing in my, my business as money ripples today but um, it actually was the thing that accelerated my progress, funny enough, towards getting financially independent that second time because awesome. uh, I just dumbed everything down. I got really tight on my numbers again, you know, even more tight than I was. But then I got tight on the the activities I was doing every day, too. So my income and my profits in my business actually increased because I took the concepts from the pumpkin plan and applied it there. So if you're definitely if you're in any kind of business, even if it's a side hustle, profit first and the pumpkin plan are really good books to read.
0: Oh man, I love that. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna check that out. My, my wife and I, we uh, both read Profit First together because, um, again, it, it, it took this recession, this downturn last year for us to do the exact same thing that you said. Uh, we're not paying attention to the finances nearly as much as we should have been, um, and we pay for it. And and so we're, we're thankfully it wasn't as bad as, uh, of a recession as 2008. Um, yeah. But I will. Again, echo what you said. Everyone, please uh, make sure that you know what you're spending. Just start there. Um, I, I think that just being aware alone, uh, you will instantly be in a much better place than you were before. Without changing a single thing, just pay attention to what you're spending. And I like your analogy about air. In fact, it it reminded me... To, have you heard about the submarine that uh, is stuck right now, like in Antarctica? No. So they're like... They went to go look at the um, Titanic, um, Mm -hmm. and so the submarine, uh, I guess, I don't know what happened to it, but something malfunctioned, and it literally, right now, as we speak, it is at the bottom of the ocean somewhere. They have, I guess, one more day worth of air, of oxygen that they can survive on, and they're banging on it to uh let people know like where they are because they're still trying to find them through sonar and some other stuff right now so it's, yeah. it's kind of a crazy story right now i just read about it this morning but to your point like you don't really appreciate the oxygen that you breathe until you got an hour left uh or a yeah. day left right now every breath you take you're like okay i need to be aware so um crazy crazy all right awesome i'm gonna check those out so this is why i asked the question um okay number two what what was your biggest growth year
1: My biggest person, like personally, or you mean like professionally
0: or business? Yeah. Just what was one of them that really was a big leap year for you that made a big impact on your life.
1: You know, I'll, I'll probably go back to 2015 going into 2016. Um, Mm. that was the year I was going through a divorce. And, uh, and so emotionally it was even harder than when I went over a million dollars in debt. Like that was hard, but emotionally to go from a guy who's working from home to all of a sudden being alone without your kids there all the time. Was mm-hmm. definitely impactful for me, and that's actually what got me to read the Pumpkin Plan. I was reading it at that same time and realizing that you know I almost wanted to redesign my entire life, and uh, and it really got me to cut off the small pumpkins, so it's just that feeding that one big prize winning pumpkin in my life. And I did that in my business. I went from fifty hours a week in my business to like five, <laughs> partly because emotionally I couldn't handle much more than five hours a week. But the crazy thing is, is that my rev- revenue actually doubled that year. It doubled. But my profits, about I wouldn't say ten x. It was like eight x. Like they they was that octupled, you know, that year just because of applying those concepts. So for me, that was a big growth year personally because it was just such an emotional year. But also, it ended up becoming one professionally
0: too. Wow, man, that's awesome. I mean, not awesome obviously, but 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 I. (laughs) Uh, you know, when, when I look back, the reason why I ask this question is because I think so often we look at those major trials in our life and, and divorce is obviously a huge trial mm-hmm. um, as, as like, why is me this is so difficult, but then looking back often, uh, pretty much all the time, we look back uh, as long as we learn the lesson um, and say, I'm grateful for the lessons I learned. Maybe not necessarily grateful for that trial, um, but for the lessons that were learned from it. And so, man, thanks for sharing that. That's awesome. Um, okay, last question: uh, What is what's some advice that you would give yourself if you could go back ten years uh, with the knowledge that you have now? Um, yeah, like what what would you tell your younger self? What's a mm. bit of advice? Just ten years, huh? So that would be 2013. And um, you can even go back 20 if you'd like. <laughs>
1: I guess in general, I think focus on finding your superpower, I think is really what it is, right? Just finding like what makes you special, what makes you unique and embrace it. Um, it's crazy story. I haven't shared this very often, hardly at all. I've done hundreds of interviews and I probably show on maybe a handful. I can count on one hand how many times I've shared this. But uh, one time I was actually, uh, so when I first launched Money Ripples, I was out on my own for the first time. I wasn't falling behind like Garrett's shadow. I was now in the spotlight. And I had this nagging cough that would not go away for two months, two months. Of cough, and It was pre COVID just so you're aware. It wasn't like I was freaky, you know, that way, but, uh, you know, I was yeah. coughing and it was especially happened right after I got done speaking. And mm-hmm. somebody pointed out cause you know, this person, she, you know, she was in the kind of the emotional health space and she said, you know, sometimes that's a sign of people rejecting themselves. You know, like you have to almost cough it out. It was almost like Gollum. You think of like Lord of the Rings, like, koom, koom, you know, like that. Like, it's like you're yeah. rejecting yourself. Like you hate that self-hate. So, like, it's almost like you're rejecting yourself because I get that spotlight shown on me. I felt so vulnerable and, you know, really insecure that, yeah. uh, that I just could not get rid of this cough until I was able to overcome that. And so, if I could go back and talk to myself, it's like just embrace that superpower and just know that you're awesome the way you are and just embrace that don't try to be somebody else you know like i shared a video on facebook today about you know everybody trying to be like alex Armozzi, right it's like no you don't have to be like gary V or grant cardone and be a jerk you know like no you can just be you and be the best version of you as possible and that is exactly what god created you to be like and that's where you'll see more blessings and, and greater greater results
0: man Great, great advice. Yeah, and and I'm starting now to to fully embrace that exact thing. Is like, guess what? Because I think in a partnership that I was in for a long time, really the majority of my uh, business uh, career has has been in in partnerships, and so I always felt like I didn't want to take the spotlight away, you know, from them, or I didn't want to, mm-hmm. you know, I wanted to be careful uh, and and recognize that I need to. Be aware that it you know i don't want to overpower or or anything like that i don't know how to how else to put it but um it it hasn't been until recently that it's like hey like everyone has this god-given ability and gift and it's important that we uh find that in the parable of the talents right like it's so mm-hmm. imperative that to those that much is given much is required and and so um it it really is a sin honestly if if we hide all of our talents under a bushel and don't share them with the world. And so I think if we look at it more like that, then it's like it's more natural and it's not, it doesn't come across as like, look at me or or look how awesome I am or whatever. It's more of like by sharing this gift, I am now going to bless the lives of so many people, which is what you, I think, figured out. Maybe I don't know how long it was. Well, you started your podcast and all these other things. Mm to be a voice, to, to share um, that gift that you have in this infinite banking and, and the insurance policies that has changed your life. And hopefully it will change the life of many others that are listening today. And so thanks so much, Chris, this has been a blast. I appreciate you coming on the podcast and hopefully we can do it again. Love it. Have you wanted to get into real estate investing, but were not sure where to start? We are launching our seven-week investor boot camp, starting in July of 2023 that will provide you with the meat and potatoes of how to begin or scale your real estate portfolio. You will learn about how to find deals, underwrite, value, remodel, and finance properties, along with learning all of the exit strategies that will help you to maximize your return all while keeping your day job and investing on the side first 10 people to register will get in. Look forward to working with you. Thank you for making us a part of your day. I hope you feel more inspired to push through your short-term failures as you work on becoming a true powerhouse. If you enjoyed listening to the show and feel others would benefit from listening as well, please take a couple of minutes to rate and review the show and make sure to share the link with others. See you next week.